This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in, everybody, to the flagship podcast interview. I am joined today by Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com, the foremost authority on all things Alabama Crimson Tide for the 24-7 Sports Network. Travis, thanks so much for joining us, man. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, Chip. I mean, we've been we've been talking uh, a lot back and forth between sites because, uh, well, it seems like half the offensive staff of the Alabama Crimson Tide is now headed to Austin, including the head coach, Steve Sarkeesian. Um, what do you, you know, what, uh, what do you make of this? Were you surprised? Did you think, oh, this makes sense. What was your initial reaction, Travis, to, to Steve Sarkeesian getting the uh, Texas job? You know, Chip, it didn't surprise me. In fact, my thought all along was that Sark just needed to be patient. And I know there was a lot of talk, a lot of rumblings. There was the potential interview at one point with Auburn, among others. A year ago, the Colorado job was in play. The Mississippi State job was in play. But even this time around, I felt like if Sark would just be patient, the opportunity like one at a place like Texas would eventually come around. I was of the opinion that, look, if Cliff Kingsbury could go from being fired at Texas Tech to the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, I'm a Jacksonville Jaguars fan. I don't admit that publicly all that often, Chip, but I would have been fine with Sark going to Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence coming in there as the number one pick. So that's how high I was on Sark in terms of his future. And so, no, to see Texas uh, uh, offer him that opportunity, uh, I thought it was perfectly sensible. And I, I think he's uh, I think he's achieved to a level that, that warrants that opportunity. Some people will look at his um, success at Alabama and say, OK, he, he didn't quite get it done with the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, Dan Quinn uh, let him go and. And he goes to Alabama and has all kinds of success and in 19 wins helps wins the national championship in 20 because he's got unbelievable talent. What would you say to that? There's no denying that he had exceptional talent, but I don't think anyone still felt like they would put up numbers to the extent that they did this year in a season in which you're talking about 11 SEC games and then two college football playoff games. So, you know, there weren't any gimmies. There weren't any layups really on the schedule. Now you had some of the teams in the SEC that Alabama did face that obviously weren't uh, elite by any means, but Alabama also didn't see South Carolina and Vanderbilt in those 11 games. So uh, it was, it was still above and beyond what anyone would have anticipated, even after seeing Mac Jones, do some of the things he did uh, in the four starts in 2019. Then you lose a couple of guys like Judy and Ruggs on the outside. But, you know, Sark, in a lot of ways, what he's done with Devontae Smith, I don't think it's a coincidence that 
Sark and Elaine Kiffin, obviously, in a lot of ways, tied at the hip, connected at the hip throughout their careers, and really reminiscent of what Lane did with Amari Cooper at Alabama in 2014, uh, and just making him such a focal point of the offense. And, you know, that was that was a good team offensively. That was a talented team offensively. You had T.J. Yeldon, Derrick Henry as your top two running backs. Uh, and so you had some complementary pieces to go around that. Um, but for Sark to get the kind of production to the extent that he did out of Devontae, it just seemed like every week you kept thinking, okay, there's going to be a defensive plan that's going to, in some form or fashion, take this guy away, at least to an extent. And it just never really happened. And a lot of that had to do with Sark keeping things so fresh and, you know, not giving defenses sort of, you know, that one pitch they could hone in on. Uh, and even back-to-back games. So you can't say enough about the work he did on a weekly basis. And again, not just, not just Devontae, you know, you look at John Mechie's numbers this year. The guy had over 900 receiving yards. You know, that's a, that's a great season for anybody else, but at Alabama this year behind Devontae Smith, it's largely overlooked. So it, it, it was largely about featuring Devontae, especially after, you know, Jalen Waddle went out in the Tennessee game in late October. Uh, but, man, he brought along Jaleel Billingsley as a tight end uh, that was dynamic in the passing game in the back half of the season. Uh, got enough out of Mechie, got enough out of guys like Slade Bolden uh, that was able to mix it up with Najee Harris as both a runner and a receiver that uh, even to lose a guy like Waddle, you know, you, you didn't see a dip. Um, you know, they scored 50-plus in what? four of their last five, five of their last six. Yeah. Uh, and that's without Waddle. Yeah. That's, that's, that's amazing stuff. Talking to Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com. And Travis, what about Mac Jones? Because Sark said in his press conference with us at Texas, he's not sure how Mac Jones would have responded a couple of years ago to that fumble that allowed Ohio State to, to tie up the game in, the, um, in that national championship game last Monday. Um, and, and of course this time he just bounced back and, and, and just poured it on Ohio state, your thoughts on, um, Mac Jones development under Sarkeesian. Yeah, it's been impressive. And you give Mac the credit for the maturation that needed to take place, uh, in that very area of being able to go play to play and maintain that even keel. And you're right after the fumble, pretty much the same type of pressure that Ohio State brought on that with uh, with Browning off the edge. You know, the very next time Ohio State brought that same look, you know, Sark and Mack, they were, they were ready for it. And it ends up going for a touchdown to Najee Harris. So, you know, he very much became more of that guy that you might get him once in a game, maybe – but you weren't going to get him twice. And I think that spoke to the improvement that he made just even from his redshirt sophomore year to the 2020 season. So, uh, you know, Sark very much a part of that development. Um, I think Nick Saban too, you know, Nick has kind of got the perception of just being more of a defensive guy. He's very much uh, in the ear of his quarterbacks on a day-to-day basis and not so much in terms of technical things or, quarterback play in general, but again, that mindset, you know, we've seen him do that with guys throughout his tenure uh, in Tuscaloosa. And, uh, you know, I I think Mac benefited from 
not having his development rushed or expedited. You know, he came in in that same class with Tua in 2017. And look, if you're a competitor of any kind and you're working in positional drills, even even in individual drills, if you're working with guys like Jalen Hurts and Tua Tonga-Vailoa, that's going to push you in and of itself to continue to improve and uh, better yourself in every aspect of quarterback play. And in a lot of ways, it was behind the scenes, but Mac was challenged on a daily basis, unlike any quarterback in college football over the last four seasons, when you consider who he was competing against on a daily basis. But, you know, th- there were some things that, you know, again, go back to Sark's background and, and what he's able to do with quarterbacks. Um, that that's obviously a large, large part of the value when you start considering, you know, Sark, not only as an offensive coordinator, but even now as a head coach is, you know, expecting his involvement at UT to be very much in that quarterback room as well. All right. We'll take a quick break. Talking to Travis Ryer of Bama online. When we come back, we'll get into uh, Sark now seemingly raiding Nick Saban's staff. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. And Travis, let's let's get into that. Kyle Flood is a guy who was with Sark um, with the with the Falcons, um, mm-hmm. comes to Alabama, and now uh, it looks like he's going to be the offensive line coach and probably get the title of offensive coordinator, even though Sark will call the plays. What what stands out about Kyle Flood? You know, I think that uh, again, some of this goes back to Saban's philosophy in general throughout the the 14 years that we've seen him in Tuscaloosa is that they don't get too caught up in position designation. You know, their goal is always get the best five guys on the field, if at all possible. Now, look, you know, sometimes uh, at positions like, you know, center or left tackle, you, you just got to get your best center and your best left tackle out there. But typically those two guys are going to be among your, your top three or four. So you figure out a way to make it work and, uh, that was kind of the the approach to it here the last couple of years with with Kyle Flood and um, you know a, a guy that that obviously uh, you know day in and day out kept that group where it needed to be and uh, a good offensive line coach. I, I'm with you. I, I think if if he is the offensive coordinator, sure that's that's a title you give him to to get him to Austin because you know. Uh, it's Sark's offense, and it's still going to be Sark's show. If you're Texas, you're not bringing in Steve Sarkeesian to be a figurehead. You're bringing him in to do essentially what he did at Alabama uh, while also serving in the in the head coach uh, designation. So, um, you know, you're happy for Kyle Flood, but first and foremost, his challenge is going to be what it was at Alabama. You know, identify the top five guys. Uh, figure out a way to get them on the field together and, you know, mix in a couple of swing guys and, you know, see how you can roll with it. But, um, you know, Kyle Flood, you're right. The relationship with Sark uh, goes back to Atlanta, and and that's kind of how it came to be in Tuscaloosa. How would you describe him as a recruiter? I would say solid, you know. Um, 
he is he is a guy that you know obviously has ties to various parts of the country um not so much directly i would think right there in texas that's been more carl scott and jeff banks uh the last few years um but i, I think similar similar to alabama the brand that you're representing helps and i understand texas hasn't been what that fan base expects or wants it to be uh, on a consistent basis for some time now. Uh, but, but I think he's a solid recruiter. You know, I, I, I would think that, uh, you know, it, it'll be interesting, as you know, because with the coordinator designation, does that impact his involvement as a recruiter? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and how much, you know, Sark depends on him, uh, you know, from that, from that position. Uh, I would think, probably more so that will be the case with Kyle flood again, not to take away from, you know, what should be, or could be a promotion for him to, to OC, but, you know, just in sort of, sort of envisioning how that's all going to work with Sark still very much hands-on with the offense. I would think flood in comparison to maybe some other coordinators like Sark at Alabama, um, you know, should, should be, should be freed up to get out there more. Um, talking to Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com and and Travis AJ Milwe um, served as an analyst at Alabama and was uh, was headed out. Um, it it seemed initially as an offensive coordinator, um, but he is uh, headed to Texas as Sark's quarterbacks coach. What what do we know about AJ Milwe? He's had the benefit of being right there the last couple of years. And he's a guy that has, he has group of five coordinator experience. So I would think, yeah, I would think the dynamic again, flood will be very much involved in that. Um, I would think more along the lines of a run game coordinator um, as much as anything else in in assisting Sark with that. Uh, But I could certainly see, where Milwee and Sark are very, very much uh, together a good bit because you're talking about quarterback development. Obviously, that's Sark's background. And then just coming up with game plans and scripts and things like that going into games, that's where I think A.J. and, and Sark would be, again, um, you know, matched up pretty much. All right. Well, the guy who I think Texas fans are really excited about um, is Jeff Banks, the uh, tight ends coach and special teams coordinator. Um, what was the reaction um, from the Crimson Tide side when when uh, word got out that Jeff Banks was headed to Texas to join Sark? Yeah, I don't think it was a big surprise if the numbers are what have been put out there. Uh, you know, if you're Jeff Banks, you got to jump all over that. Now, they've been prolific in the state of Texas, as you know, and we all know, I think in this 2021 class, seven signees slash commitments from the state of Texas. Mm. And so Jeff Banks has been a big part of that now. So has Carl Scott. Carl Scott's been really, really good out there um, in, in his own right. But, you know, given Jeff's ties to the state, not just at Alabama, but of course his time at Texas A&M, uh, I would think that enhances his value a great deal and uh, does a really good job on the field. Good tight ends coach. Um, 
his background as a punter at the power five level, that gives him a perspective, a special teams play where your specialists are concerned that, you know, your typical special teams coach, frankly, doesn't have. So uh, you like the, the, the combination that, that he's going to bring to that mix. It's, it's a natural uh, in a lot of ways, again, given his background um, and, you know, he did a nice job with the tight ends. You know, a guy like Miller Forrestal has been around a while at Alabama, but to see Jalil Billingsley really start to come into his own in year two uh, was a real positive for that Alabama offense. So, again, when you talk about on the field and on the recruiting trail, uh, you know, it's it's pretty evident why if you're you're Sark, you, you made Jeff Banks a real point of emphasis to try to get him to come along with you out there. We had heard that maybe Pete Golding, the defensive coordinator, might also uh, go with Sarkeesian to Texas. But then we also heard that Saban objected to that. It was it was kind of enough is enough. And Saban, um, from what we've heard, helped recommend Sarkeesian to Texas for the job. Um, And that's why maybe Sarkeesian kind of shifted his focus to Dan Lanning. Um, And now, you know, he. He has not yet named a defensive coordinator as we record this podcast on on Sunday afternoon. Um, but what uh, does that sound uh, plausible to you? Yes, in terms of how some things have worked with Saban disciples getting jobs elsewhere, uh, I don't think it's um, I don't think it's entirely out of the realm of possibility to think that. You know, Nick, in some instances, has stepped up and said, "Okay, you know, that's that guy, uh, not so much. But, you know, it's been fascinating with Pete Golding because, uh, you know, he's a guy that's caught the ire of a lot of the fan base. uh, But then you saw the improvement from the Alabama defense throughout the year. They still took their lumps against an immensely talented Florida team there in the SEC championship game. And when that team had all their guys together, I don't know if it mattered. You were going to. You were going to have your struggles uh, with that group. But, you know, he's kind of weathered the storm. And also, you know, when you look at what Alabama brings back now for 2021, not that the identity of that team is going to shift entirely to the defensive side of the ball, but more so certainly than the last couple of years, the expectation going into this next season is going to be that the defense is going to be stocked to a point where uh, it very well – could be, and in some minds should be, the strength of this next Alabama team. So that kind of tells you what Pete Golding has coming back um, at his disposal. And that's with Patrick Sertan second going out early, Dylan Moses going out early, Christian Barmore going out early. So they're taking big hits at each level. But other than those three guys, they return pretty much intact and a lot of depth added to that mix as well. So Maybe that's going to have something to do with that decision uh, additionally. Um, What, uh, you know, some Texas fans will look at these uh, Alabama coaches leaving and wonder if there's a shelf life under Nick Saban. Uh, What would you say to that? I would say there is, but it's not um, for the reasons that a lot of folks just automatically default to that guys just get tired of working for Nick Saban. And look, I'm not going to tell you it's easy. I will say this, based on the staff size outside of the the on-the-field guys, when you look at 
when you look at support staff, like a guy like AJ Milwee, um, you know, like uh, a Charlie Strong this past year, who has now gone on to the, you know, usually it involves guys taking steps up and taking promotions. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about Sarkeesian moving to a head coaching job, Flood taking on a coordinator uh, title. Uh, you know, Jeff Banks uh, um, apparently getting a bump in salary that, you know, he absolutely has to accept. Yeah. So Milwee going from an analyst to on the field, uh, that that's what they usually involve these days, um, more so than guys just bailing or, you know, sort of uh, feeling like they just don't want to work for Nick Saban anymore. And look, when there typically is a just pure lateral move, uh, it usually has the acceptance and, and approval of Nick Saban. If you see a guy moving from Alabama just – laterally and pretty much for the same money uh that's probably because he he has the the uh the stamp of approval from nick and if not and perhaps even to the extent where nick maybe helped a guy you know move laterally to the next stop because on nick's end he he didn't see where maybe this thing was going to work out when you look at pete golding um is would it be a surprise if if sarkeesian wanted uh, to hire Golding that Nick said no, or does, does that make sense? Yeah, it's hard to say. Um, I think Nick really likes Pete Golding because again, after the 2019 season, when there was a lot of fire coming Pete Golding's way, I thought Nick was very clear in sort of his support of Pete and, and it was deserved. I thought because, you know, 2019, you lose Dylan Moses before the season. Um, you lose Josh McMillan, who at the time projected as your other starting inside linebacker. You had some injuries up front on your defensive line. You were playing a lot of true freshmen in your front seven in general. So you could kind of anticipate some of the issues. And also, um, you know, the back end of your defense, you, you still weren't maybe up to the standard that you were used to at Alabama. So in a lot of ways, the struggles in 2019, uh, not that they'll ever be totally accepted at a place like Alabama. They, to me, they should have been understood maybe a lot better than they were, but you know, Nick really stood up for Pete uh, at the end of that season and made it clear, you know, that Pete was his guy. And um, you know, there were the difficulties earlier in the season, the performance at Ole Miss, uh, is, isn't one that a lot of Alabama fans will forget anytime soon. But, uh, again, the very next week, you know, they get Georgia, Georgia presents an entirely different type of matchup offensively and magically Alabama's defense looks a lot better against a team at the time ranked in the top four in the country. So I don't think Nick has totally just given into the possibility that each and every week you're going to give up 30 plus with the way the game's being played now. But he, he understands it enough in certain situations, even going into the Florida game. I mean, he talked extensively about mismatches that Florida presents, and that's absolutely what Florida does when it's at full strength. So uh, he's not he's not thrilled with it, Nick Saban, I would say. Um, but when you give up 40 in 2020, it's nothing like giving up 40 back in 2011 even even nine years ago, 10 years ago. So uh, again, I don't think he'll ever just give into defenseless football, 
but he, with the with just the changes and the the evolution that he's seen his offense make in the last four or five years, he he knows that's how the game's being played now. Yeah. Well, let's. Uh, I'm going to ask you about Bo Davis because he spent time at Alabama and he's coming to Texas as a defensive line coach. What uh, What are your thoughts on Bo Davis and how his time in Alabama ended? Yeah, it was it was a shame in some ways. Um, Bo's a he's a great coach, great recruiter. You know, if you you get to the end of this hiring process for Texas and you just look at it from an assistant standpoint you're probably going to have Bo Davis in the top two, I would think, uh, hires that Sark's able to make. Uh, we'll see how the defensive coordinator situation plays out, but um, he's a favorite of Nick Saban's. And, you know, I, I know Nick hated to see him go, um, but that's a, that's a big hit. Um, you know, he'll do a great job both on the field and, again, uh, he'll up the ante in recruiting too. I mean, it'll be – it'll be tougher on everybody because of Bo Davis. So uh, I know the, the Jeff Banks hire has gotten a lot of well-deserved buzz. Uh, but if you're going to ask me to, to rank the hires I know about for Texas right now, from an assistance perspective, Bo Davis probably at the top of the list along with Kyle flood, but I, I'd probably still have Bo ahead of, of just about everybody I know about right now. And what happened with the, with the recruiting violation or what have you yeah it didn't seem like a a major issue at the time um but it was enough to warrant i guess show cause status and uh you know it 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 was enough at the time that i don't think nick was in a position to be able to really go to bat for Bo at that point you know some things I guess go beyond even the the football level and you start getting into the administrative aspect of things. And you know, that's where the, the road kind of runs out in a particular situation. So, um, you know, obviously it's not enough to, to keep him out of college football for an extended period. Uh, if he's going to be back at a place like Texas, but you know, it was a shame really as much again on the the personal level, because you know, I know his family, you know, really enjoyed Tuscaloosa, his wife. He had a son that was a really good high school football player at the time in Tuscaloosa. And, you know, Bo had to make the jump to the National Football League. And, you know, if I think there were just major character issues with Bo Davis, even with the NFL teams, he would have had a harder time getting a job than he did, um, you know, after his – his stint, I guess he and Golding, right? They had the time together at uh, UTSA. UTSA. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it was enough, unfortunately, uh, to, to warrant um, in the eyes of some folks uh, a uh, parting of ways. Uh, but again, you know, you, you talk about guys that are highly regarded within the business and, um, you know, what they're able to do and in multiple fronts, whether it's recruiting or, on the field, uh, Bo Davis is up there at the top of the list. All right. We'll let you go on this, Travis, talking to Travis Ryer, Bama Online. Um, what What's your prediction for how things go for Sark at Texas? I think they're going to score a lot of points. You know, I think it's going to it's gonna start with where I'll be really interested. I know you guys are, too, and knowing that the uh, Quinn Ewers situation 
from Texas to Ohio State, maybe how that plays out now. Uh, is there a future uh, there with with those two parties? But, um, you know, I think Sark's ready for it. I do. Um, you know, he obviously had his issues in the past, but I thought the national championship game, if you wondered about this guy's ability to stay in the moment these days, I, I thought that answered a lot of questions for you. And, you know, staff hires, right? I mean, who you hire. Um, and then, you know, can you go get the players? And, uh, you know, this is a guy on two different stints. He got an up-close look at not only how the recruiting operation works under Nick Saban, but even – or even just as important, if not more important, the area player development. Um, that's been the secret sauce for Nick Saban throughout this entire run. And, look, we know each and every year, what is it, four, five, six, five stars. Okay, that's great. High fours. That's that's where it starts. But to do what they've done, it's a day-to-day thing in the area of player development. And so, you know, how Sark is able to go about that um, each and every day of the year, I think will go a long way in determining it. But, you know, staff hires initially are, are everything. But I think offensively they're fine. It'll be, uh, you know, defensively pieces that they add – uh, in addition to, say, a Bo Davis. But that's a great place to start up front. I mean, uh, if you got a guy that can develop DLs and not only develop them but go get them, then you're ahead of the game. I, I think that tells you Texas is in a good starting position on that side of the ball. Well, Travis, we really appreciate the time. Our our uh, our listeners, our members at Horns 24-7 are, are eating up everything they can get right now. And and you've just given them a nice, uh, a nice uh, barbecue worth of uh, football here. So we really, really brisket. appreciate. It. Now I want brisket. Yeah, brisket. Any, yes. I, I need some brisket next Extra time I'm in moist, Austin. Baby. You All got right. it. Yeah. All right. You got it. Sounds well, good Travis, to me. really, really appreciate it. Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com, and take advantage of our fifty percent off uh, membership right now because if you get that annual membership, you'll get access to all the VIP content at great sites like BamaOnline.com, uh, 24-7 Sports, every team site on the on the preeminent uh, 24-7 Sports Network. So uh, take advantage of that if you're not already an annual member at Horns 24-7. And, and for Travis Ryer of Bama Online, I am Chip Brown. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening into the flagship podcast. Until next time, stay safe and keep the faith. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!